0: At some point in the Bhagwajang practitioner's journey, there comes a moment when the practice of Bhagwajang loses its glamour and the practitioner will quit. This isn't a case of things getting too hard, but rather it is becoming too easy and in a sense it loses its challenge. When this happens, it is because deep down inside the Bhagwajang practitioner has been persisting in trying to learn the style as if it were an external martial art, where all the physical experiences come from the outside in. Now just to be clear, this does not happen to all Baguazhang practitioners, only to those not wishing to face the truth of what Baguazhang is, and sometimes to those who have learnt a Bagua form as part of a martial family or clan style. For a real Baguazhang practitioner, getting to the place where the physical movements become easy to do is just the start of what lies ahead for them, because now they must confront a world in which those same skills will be tested in ways usually not foreseen by the practice itself. Most Bagua Zhang practitioners will go into this situation blind, but a few will study the I Ching and the Bagua for guidance on what comes next. While someone may disagree on what I have just said, the reality is that Bagua Zhang is underwritten by the eight elements known as the Bagua. It is these eight elements and their relationship to each other which is usually for Bagua Zhang in a circular pattern is what powers the Bagua forms. In order to align itself further to more traditional Chinese martial training techniques, in Bagua Zhang, those same 8 elements have been transmitted into 8 totemic spirit animals. They give a visual guideline of what the moves are supposed to look like and, in a certain sense, be a key to what the given action is supposed to do. Now here, I must put in a special note to remind the listener, once again, that each style of baguazhang Guajang has its own variation on how a move is supposed to be done. Let me repeat. Each style of baguazhang Zhang has it's own variation on how a move is supposed to be done. There is no one true perfect style. That idea is a myth. Even if your master or your, the people you train with claim otherwise, it is a myth. What matters is that the style chosen is in alignment to one's body shape and temperament. And, let me add, is also in alignment to what your goals are and what you're trying to learn. And, this is another and. And that the would-be practitioner realizes that each style has, its, has a history to it. Based on the Bagua Zhang master who created it. Now, I need to add this bit in. Master Dong Hai Chuan taught Bagua to his disciples, and each disciple created their own style. This is the orthodox history, and this is how it comes down. Now, Master Dong Hai Chuan learned it from a master who apparently taught someone else which is the lineage of the yin yang Bagua Zhang style but the point is you have all these different styles and they're all teaching it slightly differently and it was a deliberate tactic or strategy from master dong haichuan to do that so that there would be variation in the forms in the styles now, if you have only learned one form of it, you're not going to see it or understand it. But if you have been someone like me who went and learnt three, four different forms, uh, this isn't to say I'm better than other people. So don't get me wrong. This is just a case of, you know, it's like someone goes and comes up to you and goes, I know tiger style kung fu. And I go, okay, show it to me. So. I learned that. But then you learn this other guy knows Shaolin style, tiger style Kung Fu. And then one guy knows Wu Dang style, tiger style Kung Fu. And then there's Wushu style, tiger style Kung Fu. And I'm going, they're all tiger style, but what's the difference? And so I end up, learning not being master of them but learning the different styles and then I realized oh that guy does white tiger style that guy does black tiger style that guy does mountain tiger style that guy does forest tiger style and they all have the tiger claw they're all powerful aggressive styles but even in the name itself you can hear that there are differences And those differences isn't a case of one's better than the other. It's just a case of they're different. They tackle different problems. And so they come to the same solution. They love the tiger, so they they emulate the spirit of the tiger. But they use the tiger's spirit for different environments. So the guy who's got mountain tiger style, if it exists, you can bet... He's thinking about mountains, and he wants to climb the mountain like a tiger. The guy who's got forest tiger style, he's thinking about using tiger style to fight in a forest. They're completely different environments, and and so they still incorporate the tiger, but slightly different. Now, if you learn both and become proficient of, of, of both of them, great. Because now... You know how to use tiger style in two different environments and you realize it's not a case of one style is better than the other it's a case of one tool one strategy is better suited for that environment and the other one is better suited for the environment over there so i hope that makes sense in baguazhang we have too many we have too many masters who have learnt it as a sub-style of a greater form, family style and they're calling themselves masters but they only know the one form that's it they're not really focused on Baguazhang. they might be more focused on Tai Chi on Xing Yichuan, on that other one I don't know what's called the water form style whatever internal thing it is Hell, even Shaolin, you know, the Shaolin people, they've got their version of Bagua as well. So, I apologize for the slight digression, but it's an important point that I need to pull out because I get um, called out on it quite a lot, and um, ah, who gives a fuck? They can just all fuck off. Anyway, moving on. Now, back to the history. That history that comes from that particular Bagua Zhang Master, which is put into that particular style by the way that style moves and the hand movements and whatever else, is only meant to take the practitioner so far and no further. After that point has been reached, This is the most important bit here of this little bit. It is now time for the practitioner, which hopefully is you who's listening, to walk your own Bhagwa path and to create in its wake a new history that others can learn from. At some point, you need to stop playing the disciple and just come to the fact that you know it and that there are other people who want to learn from you and they want to learn from you because you have walked your path and it resonates with them they may not understand let's just say you learn uh, sun style they're learning it partly from you because you've learned sun style but you have your experience that helps to translate in order for them to understand and they can move on. Hmm. So that new history, it just basically means, creating your own history just basically means taking all of your training and practice and applying it to real life. Um, I'll give you an example. As you know, these last couple of years, we've had lockdown because of coronavirus. And most of that lockdown is dictated to us by the governments in an effort to look after us and save us from our own shit, basically. But, you know, they have decreed we need to stay home. But how many of you have stopped training because you were told to stay home? You literally just stopped. And how many of you stopped practicing because you got overwhelmed by all the news or you simply wanted to be like your neighbor? You just stop again. But then how many of you, and I have seen this, you adapted to the changing circumstances and you kept on training at home? You move the furniture around. If you don't have a backyard. Or like me. I have a balcony. Hell. I'll even train in the lounge. I'll just move the furniture. But how many of you. Actually did that. And how many of you. Saw the changing circumstances. As an opportunity. To advance your own understanding. And comprehension of this fine art. So. Judging by the dwindling numbers out there, the answer is a pitifully low number. Mind you, I have to add in a little note and to say that the technicians of the art are nearly always out of touch with practical reality. And they delight in blaming millennials for everything, which I think is just a poor excuse. And more importantly, The Chinese numbers are nearly always exaggerated by the number of school children doing Baguazhang at school as a Wushu elective. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Almost, it's like the same with any martial art or sport in the world. When you you go and study it and they go, oh, what's the national sport? Let's say soccer, football, sorry you guys in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, you will find the numbers are made up of school children up, up until the age of 14. After that, it just drops rapidly. Um, adults, if you just include adults, um, even of the most popular sport, the number is about 4% of the population actually do the sport. And I'm including the people who do it as a hobby. That's with the national sport. So... With martial arts, it's even smaller. It's really, really small. It's like one twentieth of that number. So, some of you, without knowing about the numbers that back up all of this, um, you may get the feeling that Baguazhang is a dying art, and that is also an illusion. Come to think of it, I've heard that a lot with nearly every single martial art unless it's the current popular thing there's always a sense it's a dying art well i don't know about many of the others but the art of baguazhang is not dying it has always been a niche style it's always been less people doing it than tai chi and tai chi there are less people doing it than other styles it's always been niche And you just—it's just you're just going to, have to face it as a fact of life—that you are going to lose people as you get better and better at cultivating your inner alchemy or nāgong as part of your drive towards your own personal shinhood.